Hey, thanks for listening to the Radiant Church Podcast. This is David Perkins, and we're so glad that you're listening. Hey, if you're a part of our family meeting online or in person, we want to encourage you to get connected at Radiant Church KC across all social media platforms. God is doing something incredible in Kansas City, and we love connecting with you, whether it's through our app or even through all the content available on our YouTube page. Hey, our prayer is that God uses this message to change your life and that you could become a dynamic disciple of Jesus. Thanks for listening. Enjoy this message. I just want to encourage you. I am excited. Every time I get to share the word, I am so excited. And I love having the honor to do this. And But first and foremost, I want to honor our pastor, David and Renata. They are absolutely phenomenal. Yeah, let's give it up for them. And, and this, is, this is just real. And I just want to honor him because they have done such an incredible job. They do it all the time, but in particular this year, this has been one of the most trying years for pastors. They have done such an incredible job leading and shepherding and pastoring us as a church. Um, I saw a stat a few weeks ago, 70% of pastors are actually looking for new jobs this year. And we have incredible leadership. And I want to, the Bible says to play, give double honor to those who are in leadership who do it well. And I just want to honor them. Renata, thank you so much. David is, is actually online this morning. Um, we just want to say thank you so much for your incredible leadership. Radiant Church would not be the same without you. And I know just personally, the Dorinsky family would not be the same without them. I've known them for a long time and their impact on on me, on Rachel, on our children, even how we parent is, is just so, so deep. So we want to honor them today. We're so grateful for them. So we've been in a series in the wild discussing the Exodus. Everyone's like, wait a minute, you're wearing a boot and sitting down. What's going on? Um, I'll give you a quick story. So I was teaching my daughter to ride her bike this week. She did a great job. I did not. And... Uh, <laughs> So she is good. She's riding, no training wheels. She, she was awesome. Um, I uh, fell in the process and sprained my ankle. So I'm sitting down right now. I probably will go against uh, my wife's orders and stand up at some point later. Um, just so you know, and just so you know, Rachel, I'm sorry in advance. Um, so we've been in this series in the wild and, and Pastor David has been taking several weeks talking about these particular moments in the Exodus account, in the book of Exodus. We've looked at the crossing of the Red Sea and it's this amazing moment where God literally parts an ocean, parts the sea so that the Israelites can cross over and defeats the, the Egyptians in that moment. And then they're, they're wandering through the wilderness and we see manna falling from heaven. We see them ups and downs. We see them creating a golden calf and then Moses destroying it. We see this incredible dialogue between Moses and God. They're your people. No, they're your people. No, they're your people. They're your people. Who's going to claim the Israelites, God or Moses? And it's this amazing stories. And then last week, David spoke about having just this intimacy and this friendship with God, that the promises of God mean nothing if God's not with us. And it's been amazing as we've navigated the season of 2020 going, we all feel like we're in a wilderness. We all feel like this, this year is never ending. And it's like going on and on and on. And I want to encourage you today that instead of shunning the wilderness, I hope that we can learn to embrace the wilderness. Because I believe that God actually has something for us in the wild, in the wilderness that can transform us deeply if we allow it. So let's pray and then we'll, we'll dive in today. So Jesus, we, we love you. God, and we pray that even in the midst of a wilderness, God, we know that you're with us. Even as, as Katie sang it a moment ago, 
God, you lead your people. You, you led them by a cloud by day and a fire by night. So Jesus, we pray that you would continue to lead your people. God, through the wilderness, in the wilderness, God, you never leave us nor you never forsake us. So God, we know you're with us. We pray for your leadership today. In Jesus' name, amen. Have you guys ever picked up a habit or a thought that you really didn't know where you got it from? Have you guys ever done that? Like, so my children, so I'm a graduate of the University of Cincinnati. I'm very passionate about the Bearcats. Um, so my children know down the drive. They have no idea that down the drive is like the student section cheer, which I'm, I'm not going to do this morning for you. But they, they know it. They, they, you know, they know the hand motions. They know when to stomp, when to clap. They, they know it, but they have no idea that it's like this little niche thing that really no one else knows unless you went to the UC, Right. Um, there's a story, this little girl was helping her mom cook and her mom cut the ends off the ham and she was cooking for Thanksgiving because they're the, one of those families that make ham on Thanksgiving. I don't know what that's about, but I know people do it. Um, so, they, so they cut the ends off the ham and they cooked it. And the little girl looks at her mom and says, mom, why do we cut the ends off the ham? And the mom looks at her and goes, you know what? Actually, I, I don't know. Let's, I, that's how my mom did it. So that's how I do it. So then they're like, oh, well, grandma's coming over later for dinner. And we'll ask grandma when she gets there. So then grandma comes over later and then they ask her, grandma, how come, how come you always cut the ends off the ham? And, and grandma looks at her and goes, my pan was too small. <laughs> so we, we pick up on habits so frequently in life that we don't even know why we do it. Like, why do we, why do, we do some of the things we do? And I think one of them is that we have this connotation that the wilderness is bad. I don't know where we picked it up at. I don't know when it started in our mind. But in so many coffees and so many conversations, what we do is we have this connotation that, oh, I'm in a wilderness. I'm in the wilderness. And it's bad and it's negative. And somehow it is thought of as a, as a, like a valley, like a low point in your life. Whereas in actuality, I believe that the wilderness is actually one of the most important seasons you can ever have in your life. When you look at it, look at the children of Israel. They went through the wilderness to prepare them for the promised land. They didn't go to the promised land to prepare them for the wilderness. When Jesus was called into ministry, he was baptized by John, the Holy Spirit descends like a dove. What is the first thing that the Holy Spirit does in the life of Jesus? Drives him to the wilderness before he starts public ministry. See, I believe that the wilderness season is actually a season that prepares you for what God has next for you. But too often, I believe, we try to keep the wilderness at arm's length. We don't embrace it. We don't lean into the wilderness and say, God, what are you trying to teach me in this moment? What, are you, what can I learn? How can I grow? How can I be developed to, to better serve your calling on my life in this season? You see, even in the children of Israel, we, we see them and they, they go right up to the edge of the, the, the promised land. And it's this famous story. Moses sends in the 12, the 12 spies. Ten of them have a negative report. Two of them, Joshua and Caleb, have a good report of the, the promised land. And they're like, let's go take it. Let's go. Let's do this. God has our back. God is for us. If he is for us, we can surely overcome the giants and the people in this land. And the 10 of them, it says, turn the entire nation against the notion of going into the promised land. So God has them go back into the wilderness for 40 more years. And it's this moment, 
I believe in the life of the children, this narrative of the children of Israel that absolutely is vital for us to understand as, as Christ followers. You see, one of the, I love Eugene Peterson. One of the, the chief connotations that he says is one of the chief designations for people of faith are pilgrims. We're a people on the move. And over, and over the seasons of your life, you're gonna go through so, so many different types of terrain and topography. You're gonna see all that this life has to offer over the course of your 70, 80, 90 years on this earth. And in the midst of that, what we can't do is demonize some areas and overglorify others. Because in their own way, they're all beautiful to the Jesus. They're all, they're all serving a purpose in our lives. The wild can actually be good for you. Recently, Yale actually, the University of Yale um, published an article talking about the benefits of being in the wild, being outdoors, being in nature. It said that basically if you spend two hours a week outside in the wild, in nature, it can lower blood pressure. It can lower your stress hormone levels. It can reduce your nervous system stress. It will enhance your immune system function. It increases self-esteem, reduces anxiety, and improves your mood. Have you ever heard the old adage, if you're having a bad day, go take a walk? There's a reason why there's truth in that. But think about with all of these physical and mental benefits of being in the wild, wouldn't it be pertinent to to think through and say, hey, maybe there's some spiritual benefits to being in the wild as well? Isn't it possible that if it is good for us to be outside physically and mentally, how much more could being in the wild benefit our spirit? You see, and in this Exodus progression, we get to see the children of Israel walking these truths out. And everyone loves the Exodus. They love the, the parting of the Red Sea moment, and they start doing that. But really, the, the, them leaving Egypt is only a short portion of the book of Exodus. Like, think about the, the Pentateuch, the first five books of the Bible. You have Genesis, creation story, up to Egypt. Exodus is, the first part of Exodus is them getting out of Egypt, The rest of Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, Deuteronomy, and part of Joshua are all the wilderness. So this this humongous moment in the nation of Israel that they derive, we derive so much of the Bible and the, the word of God from, is something that we've trained our minds implicitly to try to avoid. So we see this, and all the way up to Numbers 13 and 14, we see them, so we see in Exodus, we see them coming up to the edge of the promised land, them sending the spies in, the spies having the the differing reports, Joshua and Caleb, like we said, having a great report, the 10 having a negative report and saying, there's no way we can do this. Moses speaks to the Lord, and we see this in Numbers 14. We see this little dichotomy going, this dialogue going on. But the whole assembly, Numbers 14, verse 10, but the whole assembly talked about stoning them. This is the, the Moses saying, we need to go up into the, the promised land. The 10 people come and tell the report, and they're so upset about the, the, there being giants in the land and the report of the 10 spies that they're literally now at the point where they want to stone Moses. They're like, let's just get rid of them. Then the glory of the Lord appeared at the tent of meeting to all the Israels. This is like the great like timeout. It's like your dad giving you a timeout. Like, hold on, we're just gonna separate everybody right now. You go over here, you go over here, right? This is that type of moment. 
appeared at the tent of meeting to all the Israelites. The Lord said to Moses, how long will these people treat me with contempt? How long will they refuse to believe in me in spite of all the miraculous signs uh, I have performed among them? This is another one of those moments where we're going, Moses, come on. Like, these are your people. How long are you going to make me do this? Right? This is that dichotomy moment that, that Pastor David talked about over the last few weeks. And it's this moment that where it's like they're making a decision as a nation. Will they be obedient to the Lord? Will they go up and in the wilderness season and take the promised land? Or will they not? And it's this moment in Numbers 14, 28, that God says, okay, if you don't, you don't want to go into the promised land, fine. You, you need to go back into the wilderness. You see, because a wilderness is a place of preparation. If they weren't prepared to take the promised land, that means they weren't fully ready yet. They chose not to be ready in that moment. They chose not to have full faith in the living God that he would see them through the giants and the battles of the promised land. So Numbers 14, 28. So I tell them as surely as I live, declares the Lord, I will do the very things I heard you say. They wanted to go back. They wanted to go back and they, they, we can't go into the promised land. We have to leave. You see, your current season in life is the result of, I believe, two things. There's two components to this current season of your life. It is God's will and your own choices. I think both of them have a part to play in this. The season you find yourself in right now is, is in part a combination of those two factors. I believe God is leading each and every single one of us and I believe that we have the ability to make choices and our choices affect our life. There are consequences to all of our actions. And, and it's my belief that the best thing you can do is to embrace the current season of life you find yourself in because you're in this season for a reason. It's, you're, you're not just going through life coasting and trying to get by and just like stay under the radar so nothing spectacular or nothing happens to you. But you're in this current season to prepare you for the next one. So how do we do this? How do we, how do we actually embrace the wild? How do we embrace the season that God has us in? And I have a few thoughts I want to share with you today. Number one is develop a love for the season. And I believe there are, there are traps to all of these. I think there are traps in the wilderness that we have to avoid and pitfalls, but I, I believe that if we can develop an authentic love for the season we're in, we're gonna do better at navigating the wild than otherwise. Who skips Thanksgiving and goes straight to Christmas? You all fell into the trap. Sorry, Dawson. Dawson was emphatic on the front row, raising his hands. There, there's just, it's that type of moment. Like, don't skip Thanksgiving to get to Christmas. Don't, don't, don't pass up. Develop a love for the season that you're actually in. Embrace it. Numbers 14, 39 says this, in verse 42 says, when Moses reported this to the Israelites, they mourned bitterly. And early the next morning, they went up to the high country. We have sinned, they said, we will go up to the place the Lord promised. But Moses said, why are you disobeying the Lord's command? This will not succeed. Do not go up because the Lord is not with you. You will be defeated by your enemies. You see, the nation of Israel decided that as soon as they heard that the Lord was saying, go back into the wilderness, all of a sudden, then they were like, wait, 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 we don't want to do that. We want to go into the promised land now. You see, but they were still in a wilderness season. You can't force your way out of the season you're in, but we can develop a love for the season we're in. 
Here's the trap. Overglorifying your previous season. Like think about the children of Israel. The entire Exodus narrative, you see them continually repeating the same line. Let's go back to Egypt. We had cucumbers and leeks. I don't know what a leek is. Apparently it was good. It was so good that they were like, they forgot about being enslaved for 400 years, but they were like, hey, at least in Egypt, we had cucumbers, we had leeks. Like, let's go back to Egypt. It was great in Egypt. Like, what do you, like really? What are you thinking was great about Egypt? You overglorify a previous season. You glamorize it. You try to, you, you try to just get you don't fully embrace the current season you're in. And if you don't fully embrace it, you won't learn and you won't receive and develop all the things that God has for you in your current season. You see, your current season is to prepare you for your next season. So if you don't allow the maturation, the preparation process to take place, you'll never be fully developed and ready for the next season of your life. Some of us have been marinating in the wilderness because we have not allowed the maturation process to take place in our lives because we're over glorifying a previous season and trying to avoid embracing our current season. But there is a real work that God wants to do in each of our hearts that will mature us and transform us into a place that we are ready for what God has for us. What promises does God have that are on the other side of your wilderness? My hope today is that we'll fully allow God to do his work in our hearts and our lives so that we can embrace the promises of God on the other side of the wilderness. You know, 2019 was like, I would, I would say in 2019, busy was the status symbol. Anytime someone asked you how you were doing, the, the, the implicit, native, immediate response was that you were busy. Oh, I'm good, but I'm busy. I'm busy, but I'm good. And it was this, the status symbols were somehow if you were not busy, you were, you were less than. In 2020, a great reset happened, in my opinion, and everything stopped and all of our norms got broken down to where now we, we don't know what to do with ourselves because we weren't as busy, right? But it's, a, it's this perfect moment to where if we allow ourselves, we can redevelop biblical mindsets and biblical characteristics to lead us into productivity. Like John 15, I'm the vine. If we will abide in him, then we will bear much fruit. See, abiding with Christ precludes bearing much fruit. So if we want to be productive, as the world says, the trick is not to work more. The trick is to abide more. And out of our time with Jesus, gazing upon him, Hebrews 12, the author, the perfect, let's fix our eyes on him. That's the place where we actually can accomplish more in this life. It's not about doing more. It's about, not about working 60, 70, 80 hours a week. It's about developing a, a discipline and a lifestyle and a character, like root system says, I am going to spend time with Jesus. I am going to abide with Christ. And every season, your goal should be, how can, I take a, how can I take my next step in spiritual maturity? What's my next step? See, as Americans, we're trained, we're hardwired that everything needs to be immediate. We have this demand for immediacy, whereas Christianity is a long obedience in the same direction. We are going our entire lives following Christ and it is a maturity, is a maturing process. So the goal is not how can I just become a fully developed person immediately, but how can I take my next spiritual step? 
And as you continue throughout your life to take spiritual steps, you will grow far more, in my opinion, than the person who is trying to take only quick leaps and bounds and shortcuts to spiritual maturity. One of the best, uh, before I became a pastor, I worked in finances, and one of the things I would end up recommending and telling people the most is dollar cost averaging. It is better to make small incremental investments into your finances over a long period of time than only trying to give a whole bunch of money when you have it. You'll actually do better financially if you're consistently small and taking small, steady steps. It's reality. Develop a love for your current season. What, what spiritual step can I take in this season? The second part is develop a content heart. Contentment only comes through full faith in God. You see, you actually have to believe that, that God is your provider. And I think the trap is that as, as Christ followers, as we, we, our tendency is, yes, I believe Christ is my, my provider. I believe it, I believe it, I believe it. But our actions don't align with that faith truth. You see, we can, when Christ is our provider, when that is a deep, deep-rooted belief in our hearts, our lives look differently. Look at Deuteronomy 29.5. It says, I have, this is the Lord speaking, I have led you for 40 years in the wilderness. Your clothes have not worn out on you and your sandals have not worn out off your feet. I've got three kids. I would love for that to be true for six months. Like, can your shoes just fit you for six months? You know what I mean? Like, but think about this. The entire nation, everyone under 20 had grown up in the wilderness. The little babies, two, three, four, five, 10 year olds had grown up in the wilderness. None of their clothes had worn out. None of their shoes had worn out and they were still traveling through the wilderness. God is a provider. God is our provider. But it takes dependency on him and it takes faith in him. Here's the trap. Comparison and lack of vision. I believe those are two of the, the greatest traps that you can, you can fall into when trying to develop a content heart. Comparison looks at other people. You're looking to the right and left and saying, if I could only, what about them? If I only had what they had, if I only could have that status symbol, if I could only have this one thing, then my life would be better. You're comparing your life to somebody else's. This is easy. Look, Peter fell into the same trap. Look at John, um, John 21, 21. And when Peter saw him, he asked, Lord, what about him? Peter's going, Jesus had just told Peter the way that he was gonna die on a cross just like Jesus did. Peter and John are sitting around Jesus and Peter looks at him and goes, what about him? I want to compare my trajectory to his trajectory. What about him? And Jesus is going, what is that to you? Don't, don't, don't worry about other people. You must follow me. It's this moment that if we allow ourselves, comparison will steal the contentment and the joy we have over what God has provided us. Because we feel like what we have is somehow less than because we're comparing ourselves to somebody else. We create these echo chambers in our lives and contentment is the only thing, in my opinion, that will break down an echo chamber that you've developed. An echo chamber is this. It's when you begin to surround yourself with people who will, or things or items or input sources that will only solidify your current idea structure. All your friends always agree with you. You might have an echo chamber. Everything you read only affirms your current beliefs. You might have an echo chamber. I'm just telling you, that's just it's a trap. That if you allow yourself to compare and allow yourself to look across and say, well, okay, what about them? What about them? How come they're driving that car? How come they're able to do this? How come they're able to go that, on that vacation? How come they can escape 
COVID 2020 and I can't? How come they can do this and I can't? What about if I had that clothes, that those clothes, if I could purchase, if I could shop from that store? There are so many things that lead us down the trap of contentment. I checked my email on Friday afternoon and I had 247 emails. All of them were from sales. I literally, if it was so gratifying, honestly, I could just go, I selected all and deleted all of them. It was awesome. It was like one of those moments in your life that you feel strangely productive. It was great. But marketers are banking on you being able, like falling into this trap of comparison. The second trap is a lack of vision. You see, the Bible says without vision, the people perish. There's a direct correlation between having vision and being able to be fruitful in this life. You see, I believe that one of the key indicators of a content heart is having vision. Now, I know you're looking at me like, how do we, how do we manage that? How do we have vision but still be content? And it seems contrary to one another in the beginning, but, but look at this. If you have if you have vision for your life, then you're willing to say, I'm going to create margin in my life so that I can walk in this vision that God has given me. You see, without vision, the people perish. Habakkuk says, write the vision, and make it plain. That way, whoever reads it can run with it. See, it's not about a lack of vision. It's about a lack of contentment. See, if there's no vision and people perish, but yet when there is vision, people can run. Man, I want to run toward the promises of God. But it takes a vision. Proverbs 21, I love the book of Proverbs. Proverbs 21, it's, it's full of wisdom. The entire book is, but and in chapter 21, verse five, it says, it's the plans of the diligent surely lead to abundance, but everyone who is hasty comes only to poverty. You see, there is a principle at the root of all of this that if we are content in our current season, it will allow us to prepare for our next season, right? This is a wilderness. If we can grow in contentment, it allows us to prepare for the promise. Contentment brings margin. Margin gives us space to breathe so that we can operate off of principle instead of pressure. When you operate and you live your life based off principle versus pressure, you will make Biblical choices that are more sound than if you're constantly responding to a pressure stimulus at the moment, every time. See, even how, as a church, we're committed to doing the passion offering next week. And the idea behind it is that we wanna be strategic in how we make a difference. We wanna have vision for what God has called us to do as a church, locally, nationally, internationally, with um, next gen and with what God would have us as a, for a building down the road. And we wouldn't be intentional about that. That's why we never ask you to give. We don't want to apply pressure. We ask you to pray and ask God what he would have you give. There is zero pressure ever to give. There is absolute pressure for, for us to ask you to ask God what you would give. And our hope is that you'd be obedient because it's a response to vision, not pressure. My hope is that you'll develop vision in three key areas of your life, that you'll have vision for your own life. So what I do, what we do, the Dorinsky family, every, about this time every year, we really start praying and reading through the Bible. We do it all throughout the year, just so you know. Um, and asking God, though, begin asking God, like, what is, what's the vision for our life this year? We want to grow. We want to take spiritual steps. We want to become more mature Christ followers. How should we do this in 2021? And the goal is that we would have a verse 
and say, okay, we're gonna, we're gonna get better at this verse this year. So some years we've, we've tried to live out Luke 2.52. We wanna grow in wisdom, stature, and favor before both God and men. We've done um, the joy of the Lord is a strength. We, um, Rachel and I both, we tend to take ourselves too seriously. So we were like, hey, we wanna infuse joy into our family. So we're, each year we do that. Vision for your life. Vision for your family. What are the weak points that you can shore up in your home life? Is it, you know, doing tribal Bible daily, weekly? Is it spending less time engaged on screens and, and apps and activities and all those other things and actually spending more time dialoguing together as a family? What's, what's, where do you wanna, what's your vision for your family for 2021? Where do you have vision for that? And lastly, I believe that you need vision for your finances. I believe that this is one of the things that there's a lot of want to, but not a, not a lot of how to with the people of God. And I think that growing and having vision in those three areas will allow a content heart to develop inside of you. So how do you do this? Well, I love that 1 Timothy 6, 6 says, but godliness with contentment is great gain. It's not just godliness and it's not just contentment. It's godliness with contentment. How do we embody contentment with our finances? Well, you spend wisely, save diligently, and give generously. And it's not about how much you make. I wanna, I wanna, some people have this mentality. I know I may be stepping on some of your toes right now, but I wanna, I wanna break down some mentalities that being a good steward and being content is not about how much you make or how many resources you have. It's, it's about whose hands you place your resources. That here's, here's some simple steps, some first steps. Number one is put God first. I believe in tithing, not because we want you to tithe to take care of the church. I believe in tithing because I want God to take care of you. That Malachi 3.10 is one of the most famous verses on tithing. It says, bring the whole tithe to the storehouse that, that there be, may be food. But then he, he goes on and he says that, see if I don't open the windows of heaven and pour out a blessing upon you. See if I don't rebuke the devourer upon your behalf. See if there's not this blessing on your life that you can't contain. It is the benefit of tithing is not just so that the church can operate, that we operate the church on your tithe, on the tithe, but that's the blessing is on your life. Our hope is that you'll put God first and you'll tithe. Have a budget. A budget is simply a plan to implement a vision. That's all it is. It, is, it does not have to be super complex. It does not have to be super complicated. But when you have a budget, it allows you to take the pressure of a moment and allow the principled, okay, what's the vision for our finance? What's the vision for our family? Hey, we have vision for our family. We wanna do this this year. So we're gonna budget that. We're gonna put it in the budget. We're gonna, we're gonna make a line on it for that so that we can, we can walk out the vision that God has given us. And then live beneath your means. And all these things are very simple to say, but sometimes very difficult to walk out. So there is, there is no condemnation to whatever, wherever you're currently at. I want you to know that. Like you, you're safe. We believe in these principles so much. We actually, we champion Financial Peace University. We plant F the, the Dave Ramsey small group. We want to encourage you no matter where you're currently at with your finances to be willing and able to jump into one of those small groups because it's okay that you don't know. I grew up, I learned this thing, all of these principles very late in my life. I was already out of college. I was already working and doing those things when I, I learned these principles. And it's okay to not know these. 
And we have this mentality, I can't go to the small group because it's gonna be embarrassing and they're gonna look at my checkbook, they're gonna look at my bank accounts and they're gonna they're scoff or they're gonna judge me or they're gonna like, think that I'm somehow less than. And I promise you, nothing can be further from the truth. Our heart is for you to thrive in every aspect of your life. And we are committed to having these small groups to help you take the financial steps that you can with your life. Sometimes this, this could be one of the most spiritual steps you can take. So I wanna encourage you with that. It doesn't matter the resources amount, it matters where you're putting your trust in them. We wanna develop content heart with our resources and the only way that we can do that is by putting them in God's hands and trusting him and having faith in him. So I love the story of the fish and loaves in the gospels. We see this example of very little resources, but when the resources are put into Jesus's hands, a miracle happens and everybody is filled. It's my, that's our hope for your, your lives and your, your content heart. I love how Paul writes it in Philippians 4, 12 and 13. He says, I know what it is to be in need and I know what it is to have plenty. I have learned the secret of being content and in any and every situation, whether well-fed or hungry, whether living in plenty or living in want. And then verse 13, the famous, I can do everything through him who gives me strength. I love that Paul, who had the, probably the highest degree of biblical expertise in history, said, I have learned to be content. Contentment is a learnable trait. It doesn't matter what your current season looks like and what the embracing the wild looks like for you right now. You can still learn to be content. It's not based on our finances, it's based on our savior. The third thing I believe that we can do to fully embrace the wild is this, is develop fresh faith. The children of Israel, we heard the narrative, they go back into the wilderness for 40 years, they come back on the edge of the promised lands, and then there's this moment of what's going to happen now. You see, John Maxwell says it like this, is that every opportunity is disguised as a problem. There's still the problems. The giants are still in the lands. The Jordan River still needs to be crossed. And now we have an entire nation waiting in anticipation of what is God going to do now. We've transitioned leaders. It went from Moses, now it's Joshua. What is, what is entering the promised land going to look like? The, the key is to develop fresh faith. Develop fresh faith in the wilderness so that God they can see you through your next steps. Here's the trap, living on yesterday's miracles. You see, in Joshua chapter three, it says, so when the people set out from their tents to pass over the Jordan with the priests bearing the Ark of the Covenant before the people, and as soon as those bearing the Ark had come as far as the Jordan and the feet of the priests bearing the Ark were dipped in the brink of the water, the waters coming down from above stood and rose up in a great heat very far away at Adam, the city that is beside Zarethan. And those flowing down toward the sea, the salt sea were completely cut off and the people passed over opposite Jericho. Now the priest bearing the ark of the covenant of the Lord stood firmly on dry ground in the midst of the Jordan and all of Israel was passing over on dry ground until the nation finished passing over the Jordan. God had already parted the Red Sea. They could have been content with that. 
The nation could have been content with stories of God providing manna and parting the seas and the great battle of Moses and the, like all of the things. But before they were able to enter into the promises of God, they had to develop a fresh faith for themselves. This was the generation that hadn't lived it. This was the generation that were little kids when all these miracles were taking place. And God needed to develop a fresh faith in them before they left the wilderness. And as they entered the promised land, that's when God just moved afresh in their hearts. See, Lisa Bevere, I love, I love this quote. She says, obstacles do not prevent you from your calling. They prepare you for it. You see, when they, went to the, when they went through the wilderness the second time, we have this mentality that we've got to break down. The wilderness is bad, right? The wilderness is hard. It's difficult. When the children of Israel entered the promised land, that's when the majority of the battles began. We think that when we leave the wilderness, all of a sudden, all it is is God's promise. God's promise is oftentimes surrounded by obstacles that are in the form of giants and battles that we have to have fresh faith to, to conquer. Make no mistake, there is a promise on the other side of your wilderness, of your wild, but we've got to embrace it and say, I'm willing to go through the obstacles because the promise of God is so worth it to me that I'm willing to love the wild to develop a content heart in my life and to develop fresh faith so that I can walk through any and all obstacles this new season has for me. Because it's in those moments that all of a sudden we don't shun the while, we allow it to come close to us and we allow it to do the deep work in our hearts that only God can do through those seasons. Your past victories, the victories in the wilderness prepare you for the victories in the promise. We just have to be willing to live them. And that's my hope for you today. Fully embracing the wild, hold wholeheartedly grabbing a hold of the friendship of God, the presence of God in your life and allowing him to see you through these moments, see you through the wilderness because it's in that moment you can be transformed. Let's just take a moment. I just want to take a moment and pray this morning. If you would, just bow your head and let's close your eyes together. Look, I know 2020 has been, has been wild. It's been a wilderness. But I do believe if we, if we embrace the wild, if four or five weeks left in the year, if we're willing to embrace the season we're currently in and allow God to do a significant work in our lives. That we will see the promise. That God still has significant work for us to do. There is new ground for us to take. There is spiritual maturity that God would have you step into. There are victories for you to experience. But truly it takes embracing the wild.
Just right here where you're at. Not only have you kept, tried to keep the wild at arm's length, you tried to keep Jesus at arm's length. My hope is that today you'll say yes to wholeheartedly embracing the work of Jesus. See, all of us have fallen short. All of us have, have made mistakes. The Bible actually calls them sin. And sin is what separates us from God. But, but Christ came to remove the penalty of those sins so that we can stand and have right relationship with God our Father. So today, wherever you're at, if you're, if you're here, if you're, you're engaged in the chats, you're watching online, and you want to say yes to Jesus today, you want to begin a relationship with Jesus today, just right where you're at, just raise your hand. If you're online, you can, you can click the button to, to raise your hand. Amen. And if, and if you've said yes, here's, I want you to pray this prayer together. Just simply in your own words, just begin to say, Jesus, I need you. I've fallen short. I've, I've messed up. I've made mistakes. But today I give my life to you. And I'll follow you all the rest of my life. Come be my savior, be my king. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen, if you prayed that prayer today, you have prayed the single most impactful prayer you will ever pray in your life. It is, it is amazing. Radiant, can we give it up for everyone who prayed this prayer together today? And if you're, if you're in the wild, if you're just going through it and you're like, man, I'm just, I want to pray for you. If you just, I'm, I, I know 2020 has been a wilderness for so many of us, but if you're, you're in a season where you just feel like it is acute, it is extreme, you, are, you feel like you are in a, in a dark wilderness right now, I just want to pray for you. Jesus, I pray for my friends. God, if it's you on the, if you're online, just engage in the chat. God, I pray right now for my friends. God, as we, as we're in this wilderness season, God, I pray that we would allow you to do a deep work in our lives. That you would transform us. That you would do the work that only your Holy Spirit can do. That you would do a deep work in our hearts today in Jesus' name. Amen.